Welcome to Business Done Differently, the podcast about challenging the status quo, creating fans first, and changing the game in business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. Today's guest is a legend in the sports world. Brandon Steiner, the founder of Steiner Sports, the man who bought Yankee Stadium and sold it all as collectibles. Now the owner of Collectible Exchange, the author of Business Playbook, You Gotta Have Balls, and Living on Purpose. This episode is an all-time episode. Brandon shares his principle of asking what else and not settling for success. He shares a great story about Pat Riley always keeping it fresh with new experiences for his players. Brandon even goes on an epic rant on how to push the envelope with selling balls and other collectibles. Buckle up for this episode as he pushes us all to look past our capacity and always look to do more, be better, and think and act differently. Brandon, welcome to the show. Excited to have you, my friend. Thank you. Great to be with you. You know, I'm a fan. Love, love what you've done. And you should be very proud. I really enjoy when I see people, you know, find their way, find their purpose, figure out who they are, because there's nothing better. And you know, you did it in such a unique way, which I puts a smile on my face. Well, I appreciate you. And I, as we spoke the first time, I shared a lot of the inspiration came from the first one of the first books I read when I joined the industry was the business playbook. And since then, you've gone on to write two more books and, and make an impact and do some very big things. And I think what's great, Brandon, about this podcast, I interview a lot of authors, but not as many people that are actually doing it. You know, the practitioners, the people that are making things happen, the entrepreneurs. And that's what I'm fired up to speak with you. I want to start with the big thing to start. I want to, you know, you went from obviously restaurant business, hospitality, to starting Steiner Sports, to then buying Yankee Stadium. We have to go with that big one right now because I, I want to know the whole details of that deal because you bought Yankee Stadium for how much, Brandon? It was complicated. You know, first, let me just say this, that, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm just starting a new company myself. So, like, I'm reading the first book over. You know, like, I, I don't think you could ever discount yeah. the fundamentals and basics when you're trying to improve your game. And most people, you know, they want to shoot three-pointers. Yeah. How they get a half-court? But, you know, get a layup. Shoot some free throws, man. Like, when I still walk on the court today, first thing I do is I take about 30 or 40 layups and I take some free throws. You know, and, and I can't stress enough about from a marketing advertising standpoint, if your company is relying on that, to just get to the brutal truth and the simplicity will, will set you free. Yes. So I'm just starting, you know, Collectible Exchange, my new company. I'm not with Steiner anymore, which is weird to say it because Steiner is Steiner. I look at Steiner as being like Kleenex. Yeah. So I've started a new tissue company, a Collectible Exchange. I feel like I'm 19 again, man. And I'm reading the first book again, trying to figure out all the little things because I want to make sure that, you know, when I redo this, I want to do it bigger, better than yeah. I did the last time. Yeah. Otherwise, like, why would I do it? Yeah. So I'm into the basics and a lot of fundamentals. I, I, I just give you a quick story. I, I come home late one night. My wife said, where you been? I said, you know, I had to go deliver this jersey. It was this customer's husband's birthday and we forgot to ship it. So where'd you go? I said, I had to drive into Manhattan. It was an hour and a half drive where I had to go, wherever it was. And she's, I'm like, Hey, you know, what kind of message am I sending to my customers and people if she's counting on the gift for her birthday for her husband and, and she didn't get it? So I delivered it. She flipped out when I brought it. But I'm like, but that's the stuff I did when I first got started. Yeah. I packed the boxes. I went out in the street and I would find, we couldn't even afford boxes. I would go get used cartons down the street where there was all these different manufacturers. If they were throwing them away, we'd reuse them yes. and put our boxes in there. So, you know, to me, it's like, I think there's never, ever too late to get to some of the basics. And I think there's a great time with the virus going on. I think people are very grateful 
will show you gratitude back just with a quick thank you, yeah. reaching out to check on your customer, little things like that. That It's amazing how people can't do that, but you can do it. Yeah. Hey, by the way, thank you. By the way, just checking in. No, I don't need anything from you. I just want to see if you're okay. Yeah. So uh, I know I got a little tangent there, but no, I, I, like I love the first book. And I know my you got to have balls and the Living on Purpose gets all the props from my other two books. But I tell people like that's liquid or that's paper gold. That, that's gold. Yeah. Like everything in that book, I wrote for somebody who's just getting started to want to be an entrepreneur. And you can put everything in play because you read a lot of these books and I read them all. Yeah. And I'm like, I love that story, but I don't know how I could do that. I don't know yeah. how that's ever going to work for me. Well, everything in that book, you could do. Yeah, 100%. And I love that you went there. And obviously, it starts with small bets, small steps. I mean, the name of our company is Fans First Entertainment. We look at those little fans first things we can do. I obviously, everyone sees Yankee Stadium. And the reason why I started there is because, you know, again, there's a lot of things that lead up to that. But to get there, a lot of entrepreneurs had a goal to do something very big, audacious. But it's so many small bets that get them there. And I'm just fascinated on that big thing because you had to think dramatically different than anyone else. Well, it was a big buy and I had to sell a lot of people on it. But what's interesting about that is that when I did Yankee Steiner back, which really changed the collectible business to form a partnership with the Yankees, which took me two years to do. And I give the Yankees a lot of credit credit. Just, you know, listen, they got a million things going on. That's a huge company. They are as big as what you think, and they have a lot going on. But they have an incredible management team, and they also believe in their brand and that the little things are everything. And what brought us together was the protection of the fan because people were buying all these fake Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, Lou Gehrig. So they wanted to actually protect their fan. That was the first thing that brought us kind of together. And then we started scheming and dreaming and thinking about like, well, maybe we should just kind of do this going forward so that the fans, when they do get stuff down the road uh, from a Jeter or a Mariano, they know it will be real. So when I end up buying the Yankee Stadium, what's funny is when I did the, the original deal, which is an industry game changer, as we're walking away from signing the deal, I say, by the way, if you guys ever build a new stadium, I'm like, I've got to take the old stadium down. And they're like, we, we can't put that in the contract. We're too far down the road. But we promise you, of course, if we could get you involved or have you involved, of course we would do it. What's crazy is like four years later, they're building a new stadium and Lon Trost and Randy Levine call me and they go, look, you know, by the way, building a new stadium. I'm like, oh my God. And of course, you know, remember when we closed the deal, we told you that if we could, we'd get you involved. The one problem is we don't own the stadium physically. We own certain things. The city does. We have to negotiate. And it was a very complicated process. What I love is the Yankees easily could have said, you know, I don't want to be bothered with this. We're building this new stadium. We're moving forward. But they understood their legacy, the brand of that stadium and the importance. So when I took that stadium on as a project, I went to the Yankees and said, look, this is like a three or four year plan. We're not just going to go sell off the expensive pieces. I want to sell every brick piece of concrete. I'm actually sitting on a Yankee Stadium office chair, by the way. Love it. So, you know, we built up from the city Yankee Stadium. So they actually, you know, which is a pain in the neck. You know, the Yankees are building a new stadium. They got other things to do, but they know the importance of their customer. They know the importance of their brand. So I bring this up because as big as it was for me to take on the stadium, and I think it was $18 million we had to lay out, it was a very small thing, in essence, with all the other stuff the Yankees were doing between legends, a premium, new premium thing they were introducing, the new stadium, Yes Network, and everything else. Like, But they don't treat things that way. That's one of the things I loved about working with them is they look at everything as an important big thing, especially if it has any effect or impact on the fan. So they take everything very seriously. They were very supportive in following my vision and dream and actually helped me on so many different fronts to sell off the bricks, the concrete. We took the carpet in the locker room, made doormats out of it, car mats out of it. The bricks in the ceiling was 5,000 of them from 1929. They made able to pull those down. The 
holes, the locker, the blackout in the outfield, which Reggie Jackson signed. I mean, all those things were incredibly entrepreneurial. And then even lifting the grass off the last game at the stadium, lifting it and then freeze drying it. The dirt, you know, getting us containers and big drums of dirt that we were able to sell at the time was real popular because as a Yankee fan, it's emotional, you know, what happened in that old building. And it was emotional moving into this incredibly new building. So you can't ever move ahead. And I want to tie this story up with this message. And that is you cannot move ahead ever with something bigger and better unless you have gratitude for what you have and where you've been. And I think a lot of teams forget that. And they forget that with their older players. They forget that with an old building. Oh, what's that old building going to mean? But the Yankees know to move ahead. They needed to make sure they put that stadium to rest. When you go to Yankee Stadium, you see the older players there. You see the old timers there. And that's respect for where you've been and where you are. Not only the push and the aggressiveness to move forward to do the next thing, which I think everyone knows, usually if something happens with baseball or our sports team, time and time again, the Yankees have been there first most of the time. And there's a reason for that. It's because of their constant respect for their brand. So if you're thinking about growing your brand, stop complaining about where you are. Have gratitude for where you are because that's the springboard that's probably enabling you to think that you can go forward or go into another level. There's a few things I want to unpack there. That's awesome. <laughs> so right here, I'm showing you, this is uh, one of my thank you letters. So I started in thank, nice. thank you experiment back in 2016, writing one every day. It hasn't stopped. As my listeners know, I've written over 2,000 thank you letters. Gratitude. I love it. Everything. I think that's amazing. Number two, there's a, you gave me a lot there, Brandon. There, there's a lot of good stuff right there. The first thing I thought about when, when you looked at, obviously, spending $18 million on that, you said that wasn't much in the scheme of things. And I thought about that is right before the pandemic, we announced we were creating the first ever ad-free stadium. So our entire ballpark is ad-free, which is crazy. Most people in the industry don't understand, but we believe no one comes to a ballpark to be sold, marketed to, or advertised to. They want to be able to escape and enjoy it. We threw away hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the industry like, how do you do that? That's the small thing in the scheme of where we're going with our fans first business. I think people think so big, but if they realize like, hey, no, I'm not looking at this 18 million. I'm looking at what this legacy is going to do over the next three, four years, how much we're going to sell and what it's going to do for our marketing of our company because, wow, we're selling Yankee Stadium. Is that kind of how you were thinking? There's no question. I mean, I, I, first and foremost, I was thinking about hundreds and hundreds, you know, one of the biggest brands yeah. and the respect and accountability and making sure that this incredible fan base, which I'm not sure if there's another team out there that's got a bigger fan base other than maybe a couple soccer teams in Europe, yes. but I need to protect them. I needed to make sure that I console them and make sure they got something. And you know, some of the Yankees, they trusted me with that responsibility. So how I felt was nervous. Yeah. You know, I felt, oh my God, like I got Derek Jeter wants his locker. You know, I got the foul pole that maybe Johnny Damon wants. And I got fans that want, and you got seats and you got all kinds of things. And I don't want to screw it up. And I want to make sure I did it. And, you know, most people look at me as a white version of Sanford and some, but, you know, I want to do it in a respectful way in a category that always kind of takes its lumps and hits when you think about collectibles, you know, you know that Steiner's a respected name and that's because I'm grateful for the fans and the people that I never take that for granted. And I know where all that stuff has come from. The yeah. greats, you know, the Mickey Mantles, and the Babe Roots. That's how I exist and have a business today. I love it. So, I mean, obviously the gratitude and the thought process of you represent something bigger than that, but also one of the Steinerisms, and you know, we're going to get into a bunch of Steinerisms, which I love that you named your quotes. I'm trying to think of what I call my quotes. Coalisms just <laughs> sound good. So that's not going to work. The listeners have an idea of what I call quotes. Let me know. But one of your Steinerisms is capacity is all a state of mind. 
And I want to talk about that in this context. So for us, the bananas, we've sold out every game and a lot of mine said, all right, you've reached your capacity. And then, but not if we're not looking at taking the show on the road and going to different markets. If we're looking at playing year round games, which we're going to have no off season, play year round games, which we just did a month ago, you change your capacity when you look at things differently. For you with Yankee Stadium, I think every business owner listening, you think you have this to sell and forget about sell. Let's talk about providing value. You think this provides value. Let's think about everything else. The dirt provides value to fans. The grass that you're selling provides value to fans. The facade, the foul pole. You looked at every single thing of that eight stadium. The ticket stub, the base, the scorecard, yes. everything. Yes. And when you all, all of a sudden look like that, all of a sudden that investment seemed like nothing because there was so much value. What would be your lesson that you would share to a business entrepreneur there and how to look past the capacity that you see in front of you and look dramatically different? Well, the first thing is that we all have the ability to do at least 10 to 20% more than whatever it is we think we're doing. That's just a fact. I would never argue with it. You, know, you go in the gym, you're lifting 50 pounds, you know you can lift 60 if you really wanted to. So I think it's really important to really believe in your mind that you're not a capacity. But understand that if you are a capacity, you're on a, on a road to mediocrity. There's no way you could be busier. When, when I run into someone says, oh, I'm really busy. I can't, I can barely even get done what I want to get done. That's a person who I'm thinking is headed to mediocrity, not somebody I respect. Mm -hmm. I love somebody who says, you know, I'm really busy, but what do you got? <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I'll figure it out, man. So uh, maybe I sleep a little less. Maybe I can cut my shower down by two minutes. Maybe I'm going to walk my dog three minutes less. I don't know. Maybe I can figure out how to get to work a little faster. So I think, you know, capacity is a state of mind and you got to be careful. And I'll answer that question specifically with this. There are thousands of species in this planet, thousands, birds, dogs, fish, gorillas, monkeys, lions, tigers, bears. There is not one species. You're never going to wake up in the morning and your dog would have walked itself, fed itself and is reading the newspaper in the corner or the goldfish in your tank is doing a backflip and doing all kinds of different backstrokes and everything else. An elephant's going to eat, poop for 17 hours once in a while, have sex, and sleep for about six hours. That's been going on for hundreds of years. None of these species can get better. None of these species can do more than what they're already doing. All they're doing is living to live another day. Mm. That's a fact. That's not a feeling. Mm. What I'm saying is that we have the glorious opportunity as being the one species on this planet, the gift, if nothing else, to get better and do more. Yeah. And, it's, and if you look at our track record over the last several hundred years, we continually show that we can do more, think more, do better. So if you're waking up every day and not thinking about for your family, for yourself, for your company, then just do it for the outright reason of the blessing you have of being on this planet, which is to be able to be better and do more. Love it. Period. There's only two reasons why you, we are on this earth and why you're a human being. One is to be better, do better, and do more. And the other is to help each other. Yeah. That's it. Why else are we here? <laughs> Why do you think you're here? Why did you get this golden ticket to be here? Which is to do more, do better, pass up whatever thing that's been done to do more, do better. And most importantly, even better than that, help out the person next to you. You know, serve, you know, help people, yeah. you know, to fill yourself, forget yourself, you know, love thy neighbor, all those things. It's true. And the real joy, the most highest level of joy is really, you know, helping people is not a burden. It's, it's actually an opportunity that leads you to sheer joy. So understand that when you ask a question like that, and it's a common question that comes up like, hey, if you're not getting better, you're wasting one of the great opportunities that most things, objects on this planet don't even consider an opportunity.
I and I'm sorry to get a little uppity about that answer, but what the hell are you doing? <laughs> well, it's the right approach. It's the right approach. I mean, the, the cliche quote, if you're not growing, you're dying. But why else are we here other to grow and make a difference? If you're green, you're growing. Yeah. If you're ripe, you're rot. And if you're rest, you're rust. That's how I put it. So you'll love this. On opening night, every not every year, our team wears green uniforms because the bananas aren't quite ripe. All right. So we are like the green uniforms. We haven't gone to the brown rod in uniforms yet. We haven't got so, there. You know, and I just want to mention one more thing about entrepreneurship, which is what, one of the things I love about your platform and love about you because you're rep, you, it's not only what you're doing for you, your family, and your fans, but you're representing entrepreneurship, which right now in this country is at a critical juncture. Before the virus, there were 750,000 businesses that went out, small businesses that went out of business recently in a previous year. Only 600,000 new businesses opened. We're in a steadily declining small business. We need entrepreneurship. We need people to believe that they can do better, that they can do more. One of the reasons why I write these books and I lecture about this stuff is because entrepreneurship has been incredible to me. I've been a serial entrepreneur since I'm literally at 10 years old. But it's so important, you know, people like you who are doing what you do, the way you're doing it with the enthusiasm. It's critical that we, that's contagious and that we spread that out to others because risk is such a big part of entrepreneurism and giving people the confidence that they can do it, they can do more, comes from us helping our neighbors and, and showcasing the case studies of how, they, how to do it. Yeah. Hopefully we, I didn't go on too much of a rant there. Sorry no, about that. But. Oh, great. That was good. They, I mean, we got to show it. That's why I talk about it. I mean, you, a lot of people think we're in the middle of growing business. Your collectible exchange is going to be a big, impactful business. It already is. I believe the bananas are going to be worldwide doing tours all over the world and making an impact. But yet, you know, we're having interviews, we're sharing, we're writing books because we realize that it's a bigger impact than just what we're doing with our business. It's how does that spread? And that, my friend, goes to exactly what you talk about. I know you've learned from your mother, who obviously uh, was a big uh, role model for you, was asking what else, you know? And then what else? What's the next thing I can do to wow my customer? And I want you to dive into maybe a little bit of that on maybe how you did that with your business. I mean, Go, you can go into the bagel story, which I know it's classic as a kid, but even to now, what else question? I think it's so important. It's a good question. I just want to see if I have a sample here. I have to probably go into my office and show you what I mean. But well, let, me take, let me go over this one thing, which is a great example. And my mother's favorite line was, you got to have balls. So I want, you know, the second book was dedicated to her. And it was really all the stuff. I'm one of those kids that listened to his mother, and I made a ton of money from it. <laughs> I know it's not popular with kids to listen to their parents, but... You know, my mother was really bright and, and she had a way about her. She was definitely different. Yeah. And I made a ton of money from listening to her with her ideas. And a big thing with her was what else? And a big thing was about serving others. So my warehouse guy comes in my office and I did a TED talk on this from uh, at Syracuse. If anybody's listening, want to watch that. But I'll just give you the short version of the story. And that is my warehouse guy comes to his brand. We got a problem. What's the problem? There's, we're overstocked on balls. Now, people know that one of my big things is, you know, we got balls. So when he comes in the office, where that whole thing comes from is, he's like, we got this big problem. We have too much inventory. So I say, we got balls. And I go and put a billboard out in 95, we got balls. And we put a picture of a bunch of signed balls. And all of a sudden, the balls, are, I, I think people didn't really know we had the kind of the amount of balls we had. <laughs> so we got the billboard up, we're selling balls. He comes back to my office like a month later. He goes, Brandon, we're definitely moving our balls. <laughs> By the way, that's funny. Uh, we're definitely moving our balls. But, you know, we got footballs, basketballs. I said, wow, we got big balls. I'm going to get a second billboard. Got the we got balls and we got big balls. And I'm going to put footballs, basketballs, and that's great, right? And really where the value proposition is, you know, your first idea is not your best idea. And the what else? So I'm thinking my people are celebrating because we're really, you know, the whole we got balls thing is really starting to take on and we're selling our balls. We're moving our balls. And I'm thinking like, wait a minute, people got to 
a lot of balls out there and they got to have a place to put their balls. And the number one selling item and still a collectible stage too is the case. Mm. So we had a cube that we put something like people got to put, got to have a place to put their balls. So it's, we got balls, we got big balls. And then the third sign is we got a place to put your balls. And it was a picture of our cases place. You know, the balls had to go in a case, but I didn't stop there. And it goes back to the, what else? It's like, you know, your first idea is not your best idea. And so many people, when they come up with a good idea, the first thing they want to do, they want to celebrate. They want to go out for a big lunch. They, me, I'm not leaving my desk because if I got one good idea, I know there's another one coming. And I know there's probably something much better behind that idea to make the one idea even better. So I take this cube, which I'm selling for five bucks, put a ball in. And I'm thinking, you know, listen, people are probably particular about where they put their balls. And that was a, a basically a, a 60 cent cost I sold for $5. And I built this nice wooden case with glass and I sold it for $20. It cost me $5. Bam. So now I got this thing going. Customers are like, wow, this is great. Now I got a really good place to put my balls. I safe, secure. It's great. But I don't stop there. I'm looking at people's balls. That's funny, by the way. I'm looking at people's balls and I'm thinking, you know, one of the biggest problems with people's balls, that's actually funny too, is that you can't always read the signature on the ball. That's a problem. Now, I'm a big photo guy, so I take photos and I put it in the case and I create this photo case. So you, get, you put your ball in the case and then behind the ball is a picture of the player whose signature's on the ball. And I take a 1999 and I put a little dirt on the bottom of it to make it feel authentic from the team that that player's played on. And I call it a photo dirt case. And I took a 1999 that cost me six bucks. Now I'm at $39.99. It cost me seven bucks. It cost me one dollar more. And I have customers emailing me, thanking me, thanking me for solving the problem because when people want to showcase their balls, a lot of times people didn't really understand the signature that was on there and everything else. And now they can show off their balls a lot better. And I think it comes down to it, it's all about showing off your balls. So one thing is you got balls, you got to have balls. It's important that you have balls, but it's also important you can showcase your balls. <laughs> And I think that, you know, that little concept of what else driving me, my mother's like, don't stop. That's what you got to, having balls is about being relentless and not accepting success. Nobody cares that you were successful. People want to know about people that are extraordinary, the best that ever was. I never had interest in being successful. And part of the underlying drum that keeps pounding is about taking a really good idea and taking your best to make it better. And you look at some of the people that have done that, the Mariano Rivera with the cutter. Mariano, throw a change up, throw a curve. Why? They can't hit my cutter. I'm making my cutter even better. I'm working on my cutter. I said, but you can, no, Apple, Heinz ketchup. I mean, is there anything better than Heinz ketchup? I mean, it's the best. <laughs> so, you know, when you think about something that is the absolute best, you remember that. And to me, I always wanted that. I always wanted Steiner to be the best. And uh, now a collectible exchange, you know, would develop a different formula, but the same drive that goes into that formula, which is, don't settle for success. If I leave you with anything today, is like, success is good. Listen, getting up this morning, getting out of bed was success for some people. I get it. But don't settle for it because extraordinary is about the capacity times the what else. You know, you convince yourself you're not a capacity. You convince yourself that you can do more. And you convince yourself to push yourself that this thing you're working on isn't the best you could do. Because it doesn't matter where you're at, my friend. It doesn't. What only thing that matters is what you want to accept. So if you're accepting that you're good, when somebody says, I'm good, oh my God, that is the formula. I want to sprint away from you. I'm good. No, no, the elephant is good. The goldfish in your tank is good because they have no other choice. <laughs> Nobody else, I mean, it's just a question, what are you willing to accept? The way to reach extraordinary behavior, the way to get your business to be extraordinary, to be the best, is to have a high level of non-acceptance. You have to be in a complete focus of non-acceptance and not settling. 
listen, if I ever, you know, I see uh, my friends that own companies, oh, this employee, that employee. It's not the employee's fault. It's your acceptance of that employee. Your business is where it's at because you've accepted that. It's not at a higher level because you have to wake up one day and say, you know something? I'm not accepting this. I'm going to take this show on the road. I'm going to figure out a way to go get this thing to even become more international. Maybe going national is one idea, but maybe going to London now, going to other parts of the world is an idea. So the higher level of non-acceptance, the more chance you have to ultimately get into extraordinary. And by the way, in order to do that, to get to that high level of unacceptance, you have to get a little hostile. You have to put yourself against the wall. Nothing ever really happens unless your back's against the wall. You see high school kids are trying to get into college. You ever see a focus? All of a sudden, a 17-year-old looking at potential references, looking at every school, looking at every grade they ever have. Why? They're backs against the wall. And a year from now, all of them and their friends are going to college. They're going to do everything they can to get that one little edge so they get into their school. But the key thing is, how do you reinvent that edge? How do you keep yourself in that hostile, back against the wall moment? Because when you think about the greatest things, you said it right at the beginning. When my, I'm, on a, I'm on an air mattress. Things are tight. I'm not sure what we're going to do. And what happened? Greatness. You start rolling. How do you go create that, even if it's in your mind? Now, if you learn anything from the Michael Jordan film, anything, he played the game within the game. He always created this hostile, that person thinks he's better than me. Oh, I got something to prove. It's Michael Jordan. <laughs> he's won five championships and he's worried about what Joe Dumars is doing. He's worried about this guy, that guy. But in his mind, he created a hostile environment for himself and put himself against the wall like he had something to prove. And people always ask me, Brandon, what do you have to prove? I'm like, you know something? I don't know, but in order to get to an extraordinary level, I have to keep proving myself. I have to keep proving that what I'm doing is going to work. And that's my goal every day when I come in. I have a high level of unacceptance. I'm trying to convince the employees here to get with me on the unacceptance and not celebrate and not want to say, wow, look how well we're doing. Much better than we ever thought, which is true, but we're not going to accept it because we can still do a lot better. And you got to get it to the core as a leader. You got to get it into your core and you got to be able to sell it into your core with your people to realize that it's not, I'm not grateful for all we're doing but I'm not accepting it because I know we could do better. I know we could do more. And when you start getting your staff and the people around you to believe that, you're on a rocket ship, baby. Sorry about that. I went on a rant. But, you know, I love talking about this stuff, and I want people that are watching to understand that it's not easy to get in this mindset. It ain't comfortable. Yes. Brandon, I'll tell you, in 100-plus episodes of Business Done Differently, that may have been the best rant we've ever heard. All right, you started with a whole rant about got to have balls, which was awesome. We heard more ball talk. <laughs> than we've ever heard before. And then you said something so powerful. I want to repeat it. Don't settle for your success. I think often we talk about don't settle for the status quo, but don't settle for your success. In my book, I share my biggest fear. My biggest fear in life is settling, is looking back and say, I didn't achieve what I should have achieved. And that's the same mindset that great entrepreneurs have. And I want to jam on this for a little bit. It ain't comfortable. It's yeah. not a comfortable feeling. Yes. And it's important to get used to that discomfort. A hundred percent. And I want to yeah. jam on this too, because I think that asking what else and pushing yourself and the way you did that with all the items is so brilliant. So you can't do this in big leagues or major leagues, but you know, in our bathrooms, we have a 1926 stadium. So our biggest rival is Macon Bacon and we have a nasty bathroom. It's gross. So, you know, we put Macon Bacon urinal cakes in all the urinals. So our fans are pissing on our rival, but then we keep <laughs> asking ourselves, what else? So we're not making money off that. We're not really, you know, we're providing fun laughs, a little bit of value. So this year we unveiled the Macon Bacon toilet paper. So we literally sell toilet paper because we've got to talk about number two. We're number one. We talk about number two. You got to keep pushing what you have. What team in the world is selling underwear? All right. And then I'll tell you where we did okay, but we could do better. So two years ago, we unveiled the Savannah Banana Dolce and Banana underwear. So we started... <laughs> 
And so we started selling the small banana and then the big banana and the small banana didn't sell much. So the big banana outsold the small banana dramatically. We're talking now about yes, balls and big bananas. So we were selling it pretty well, but I said, we need to push it even more. So then we said, ask what else? And again, this is a lot from your mindset. We said, let's do a fun little promo video to sell it. And we took inspiration from outside of the industry, which I think some of the best inspiration comes from. There was an old commercial by Kmart many, many years ago about shipping, shipping. And so we wrote this script and it starts with, I ship my underwear. You what? I ship my underwear for free. No ship, ship, yeah, holy ship. Yeah, Savannah Bananas, free shipping. Who gives a ship? Our merch director will say, I give a ship all the time and for free. Wow, I may just ship my underwear. It's your last chance to get your ship together this holiday season. Bananas underwear, it's worth a ship, all right? And so, again, the mindset was, let's push this a little further. And I think as entrepreneurs, you- Why not? What, what do you have to lose? If not you, then who? Exactly. By the way, you know, Amazon gives away free bananas to all their employees. Do Every they? day. Really? Every day. I never do that. Yeah. I'm Amazon wondering, do you guys, you guys have a deal on bananas at your ballpark? Yeah. Well, I mean, everything's, every ticket at our ballpark is all inclusive. So I don't know if you knew that. Every ticket includes all your burgers, your hot dogs, your chicken sandwiches, your soda, your water, your popcorn, your dessert. For I eating. love that. Because it's the best. Do you have a talking banana? Is there a banana that, is there no, a banana we, like your spokesman? Oh, uh, well, we have a, a mascot. We have a, a mascot, but yeah. Well, what are you thinking about? I'm just thinking that there should be a banana doing a lot more of the talking for your commercials and for oh. your emoji, you know, the banana emoji. Yes. Should be like talking. I like you know, for some of your promos and specials, it should be a talking banana. All right. I like where you're going with that. Yeah. Uh, we can jump on yeah. it as well. But I think we've been hitting on this theme for a while. I love bananas, though, man. That's probably why I like you. But yeah, well, it's, uh, if you like me for a banana, that's fine. That's why I dress like I look like one. But yeah. same thing with what else? And going, I want to go a little further. I loved a little piece in your book. Now, you've talked so many stories in your books about athletes and what they did and but one little thing about Pat Riley, which I loved, about leaving no stone unturned. You shared in your first book about his first speaking appearance with you. Can you just share that story? Because I think everyone can learn a lot from it. Well, first of all, Pat Riley, one of the great coaches, and sometimes people forget because he's the general manager of the Miami Heat now, but he was an incredible, incredible coach. And he was a very focused on the little things and how much he would prepare. But what I loved about, I think a more important message I learned from Pat Riley and by the way, I would do anything to book him on a speech because I would pick him up, I would take him to do the speech, but also I'd get to listen to yeah. an incredible motivational speech and every one of his speeches were just different and incredible. But one of the things I really learned from him is that he said, Brandon, one of the most important things in leadership that I focus on, even though my guys are playing in the NBA and they should be grateful, you got to, how do you keep things fresh? And this is true with all your relationships, with your marriage, with your employees, like, you know, things get mundane, they get boring. And as a leader, how do you mix it up? How do you shake it up? And it seems like you've done a good job over there with your fans, but sometimes you got to remember, you got to shake it up for your employees. You got to shake it up at home, whatever it is. And what he would do is he would have the plane, like they'd be going on a road trip. He'd have the plane stop somewhere as a surprise to a casino. He would have the bus never go the same way twice when they go to the arena from the hotel. He would constantly mix up. He'd be in his in the locker room, make the uh, players get up and switch their seats. Even though like, at a meeting, they say, oh, you see you guys are always sitting together. Now, get up, mix up. No, 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 no. You know, so he was constantly looking to change things up. And one of the things I always did is I always moved my people's offices around mm. so they have a different view. Mm. So as a leader, and hope how this story kind of pertains to you, one of the things that Pat Raleigh is, you know, how do you keep things fresh? Not only for your customers, 
but for your employees? How do you keep things fresh at home? And you should give that some thought because when you do that, it creates excitement and it keeps your relationships because we all know how important relationships are, especially with your key employees, with your family, with your spouse. You got to keep that fresh. And that was like one of my main value takeaways from from Pat Riley. He was an amazing motivational coach and deserves everything he's gotten because nobody knows the game better than him. And I think that when you hear him speak, and by the way, I'd still go back and buy one of his old books that are that good. One of his big things was you can't manage what you can't measure. So he would, no matter who you, no matter what employee you have, you can measure. And he would sit down with a, a Charles Oakley and say, Charles, you averaged six rebounds a game last year. Now this year, I want you to try to figure if you can average seven rebounds. You have eight touches. I want you to get to nine touches. You defended and stopped your opponent from scoring. You know, your opponent averaged 14 points a game when you're on the court. I want you to get that down to 13. And he would give these reports. He'd put these his players in a conference room, and he put these numbers up and show them where they are quarter to quarter versus last year and the previous year before that to show them that they're digressing or progressing. And I think as managers, we, we kind of get stuck on just the numbers. But I always say, don't chase the money. Chase the things that get the money. And a lot of times for some of our employees that aren't completely number driven, you can still do some of the analytics to show them how they're progressing. Even if it's in the hot dog stand or even if it's somebody's in a code check, whatever it is. I think you can't manage what you can't measure. And I think it's a very valuable lesson that Pat Riley taught me. I love that. So you gave me a bonus Pat Riley story. I was referring to the one about when he uh, wanted a five page questionnaire of where he was speaking at the sports. Oh, God. And then the research. And we don't need to go into that, but he spent so much work researching before. Before he was going to speak to a company, which yeah. is, leave no stone. Harvey McKay, too, is another one with Harvey McKay with the 66 questions. And there's nobody who prepares more than Harvey McKay, one of my mentors. And Swimming with the Sharks is a great book. And he's yeah. written, I think, 14 books. Harvey is a, is a must read. But, you know, he, nobody yeah. prepares for a speech yeah. in as much detail as I've ever met that Harvey. And it's the same thing that we said. I never knew we'd go here, but it, it is. What else? Pushing yourself to learn more, to try more, to ask more. And I love it. All right, let's go for a few Steinerisms here. All right, let's have some fun. Maybe just give a little bit of rapid fire kind of cushion on what this means. I love this one. If you want to win more, you need to increase the losing. I love that. Share me a well, little if you bit. Believe that, if you believe, and a lot of people struggle with listening, if you're 51 and 49, you're a winner. If you believe, and a lot of times I remember when my kids were pitching in Little League and we gave up a couple runs in the first inning, I'm like, did you think you were winning this game? You think you were pitching a shutout? I mean, if you can just hold them to two runs, I'm sure we can score three. And I think that sometimes you have to realize that as you increase, if you believe that winning and losing, losing is not the opposite of winning. Losing is a big part of winning. We all know how important losing can be as far as the lessons you can learn. And that's really where you grow and you go. So at the end of the day, if you think that losing is a part of winning, which it really is, then the more you win, you will have increased losing too. And a lot of people that start to win big actually don't see the losing big coming behind and it becomes a struggle. So you have to prepare yourself for If you're going to play big, you're going to have to lose big once in a while and prepare to pick yourself up and dust yourself off. I love it. Quantity leads quality. We tell our team every night, every position, try something new you've never done before. So we've done 250 live promotions in front of fans. And I'll tell you, a lot of them have failed miserably, but we learn and get to the next one. And those are losses, but the losses lead to the wins. I love that. Is that the same? Also kind of the theme you said, play, play the game, not the score. If there's a shot clock in your office, that you need to shut down the lights and go home because you can't have a shot clock in your office. And, and you know, you, I should never be able to tell whether you're having a good day or a bad day in your office. You come up here, you, you know, you, you see, I mean, you, 
challenge anybody in my office for the last 30 years and you see the same level of focus, intensity, and uh, I always say consistency over time equals credibility. I think it's really, really important. One of the things I loved about Jeter is when you go and watch Jeter play, you can never tell if he's up five runs or down five runs. Mm. And I remember my son, the, the Yankees winning like 11 to two and it was the eighth inning. He says, let's go home. This game's over. I was like, no. Now I want to see who's really here playing the game for, for the game, for the love of the game. Who's really trying to get that one more hit? Who still thinks that they can win the game? Because, listen, you learn a lot about people, actually, when things are not going well. And you see their real intent. And I think that's really important. You know, I, I love to see guys that get up late in the bottom of the ninth and get that hit. And they do going the extra mile there. You know, they go the extra mile even though they hit their number. Mm-hmm. So play the game, not the score. Because, yeah. you know, it's just short-term thinking. You want to play the long game. Yeah. And you're only as good as your next at bat. I think that's so key. What are you going to do next at bat? You know, you share the story about Ted Williams, you know, his coach gave him the option not to play the last game and finish over 400 and play the double hitter and had six hits and eight at bats and finished at 406. That's the kind that's that's, you want on your team. And the difference between, by the way, going in the Hall of Fame and being a 270 hitter is one hit a week. 100%. And you know, how about this one? You, you know this one? I share this in all my speeches. I go, who has the most hits in Major League Baseball? He rose. All right. Do you remember how many hits? 42, 50, 4,000. Over 4,000. Do you know yeah. who, has the, who has the most at bats in Major League history? He rose. 14,000 at-bats. He has 2,000 more at-bats than the next hitter in the history of the game, who was a guy we also know of, Hank Aaron, who was the home run king for many years. you got to keep coming to bat if you want to get your hits. you got to keep coming to bat. Keep I love that. That's good. I'm stealing that. All right, yeah, you can run with that. Well, also, all right, who has the most strikeouts in Major League history? I thought it was Reggie. Oh, was it Babe Ruth? Everyone thinks that is, but no. It's a guy known for three home runs in game six of the 1977 World Reggie Series. Reggie Jackson, yeah, Reggie. that was Reggie. He's yeah. not known for the strikeouts. He's yeah. known as Mr. October. He's a Hall of Famer. We don't remember the strikeouts. We remember the hits. Keep coming well, to we all tend to emphasize on the strikeouts, more the, the failures, more the successes, which is another great tip if you're listening, and that is don't overplay the losses and underplay the wins. You know, do it the other way around. And a lot of us overplay the losses and underplay the wins. And, and you got to get the other way around because we tend to, or we tend to be a lot harder on ourselves than what the world sees. It sees. I like it's that. True. Yeah. All right, I want to go to a standing out in sports question. All right, Brandon, you own a baseball team now. All right. And I'm going to say you're not owning a major league team because there's too many restrictions. Say you own a team, independent, minor league like us, that baseball's declining, all right? Very few people maybe know about the team right now. Knowing what you've done in the industry to think dramatically different, what would you do as owner of that team? Wow, it's a great question. Well, the one thing is I think there's a lot of room to bring back some of the former players. I would do a lot more autograph signings and a lot more Q&As and clinics with former players. So getting anything I could do to get fans on the field with a real-life baseball player, even if it's a former, to me, I call that product involvement, is a lifetime memory, not to mention the fact that it's tough to get that, it's tough to shake that off. Once you've gotten on the field, it's special. And if you're on the field with a Hall of Famer or a former player, it's special. And now that building becomes special. Now you got a picture of you with a, that player up in your office, and that place now becomes holy. I do bring former players to minor league ballparks, but I think they should do it a lot more and there should be a lot more activities using a lot of former players to teach young kids clinics, much more clinics driven by athletes, camps run by, you know, giving the facility the ability to be used by a couple of former players and partnering up with them, stuff like that. But I'm a little biased, but no, but it's a good answer. I like that perspective. It's so good. 
many people don't get that opportunity to go in the field and feel a part of it. Yeah. My dad, then, who grew up I, in- I said one more thing, one more thing. I think that people underestimate the importance of food. So I love what you did, you know, the food included, because you know, obviously money is a concern, but I love going to the best. I, I think when you go to a ballpark, they should have the best of one or two things out of anywhere, and you have to go to that ballpark to get it. Ooh. Now, my son and I were very big. We went to every baseball park in the country. If you're going to have fries, let's say it's fries, you got to have the best fries or the best hot dog or the best hamburger or something that really stands out. Regardless of what it costs, you got to go to this ballpark. Yes, they've got like Pittsburgh, they got the pierogies. You know, in, in Miami, they've got this home food, uh, you know, Dominican food in this whole alley where you can't get it. You know, you got to have something in your ballpark that you can't get anywhere else. I think it's important. Food is always important, especially for kids. That's so good. That's so good. I love it. I was saying on the bringing people on the field, that's so important. My dad was a big Yankee fan, Mickey Mantle fan, and he used to remember walking on the field, the monuments. He talked about it over and over again. So you better believe as we re renovate our stadium, we're trying to make how can we keep fans on the field throughout the whole game? Because right now, when we announced we got rid of our ads, which is crazy, we decided to have a fan wall and we let the fans sign the wall. We couldn't do it this past year because of COVID, but now they get to sign a piece of the wall in 1926 ballpark. It's, love those, it. it's those experiences. So I love that. Um, one quick follow-up on that one. I, merchandise. What merchandise opportunity is a team not utilizing right now that they have? Well, I definitely have my say about that. You know, trying <laughs> to utilize every possible thing they can, but I think on the minor league level, I, I still think that the game use stuff is very underused. And I think, it's, I think that there should be more uh, game use programs put into play. I think if I'm going to a bunch of your games, so be it. I mean, if I can go get the first baseman's cleats, if I can go get his glove and that kind of stuff, I think that stuff still, and every now and then, one of those players becomes somebody great. And even if he doesn't, you know, it's something about having a, a really professional player's equipment of some sort. Uh, jock so, straps. Sell some game use jock straps. You could, but, you know, I'm thinking more along the lines of the hat and, and the jersey and stuff. <laughs> I'm a big fan of that. So. I think we, you know, the apparel and all that stuff has really been taken to an incredible level, but I still don't think we've done everything we can as far as organizing some of the stuff that the players play in and creating smart opportunities for fans to get it. Yeah, that's great. We had Russell Wilson play for our former team when he played baseball and we had bobbleheads and they were gone really quickly. I wish I had more stuff thinking back on that. That game used it would have been very, very important for a lot of people. All right, Brandon, I've been grilling you for a while. You now are the host of Business Done Differently. You can ask me one question. It's flip the script. Well, my one question would be is, how do you take those ideas and bring them to other ballparks? You know, how do you create that consulting firm that says, hey, you can bring me into your ballpark. Maybe you take your show on the road, but how do you create a consulting firm so that if my team is struggling a little bit and I need to get a completely different culture, kind of like what Disney does, why aren't you putting together a consulting firm so you go into a ballpark for 30 days? and change the culture and change the thinking. Question, did you do some of that? No. Nope. You, you just did more of the marketing agency when you started. You didn't do any of the consulting. I'm doing some consulting now, but I've never done that on a team level because I've really not worked on the inside of a team like the way you have. Yeah. And to me, when I look at some of these minor league teams that are really not doing all the things they can do, yeah. and I look at what you're doing, it's too many miles apart from where you are versus where they are. Yeah. Yeah. To me, I would hire you and, and, and a small group and say, fix me, you know, come yeah. in and you know, come up with a new, you know, kind of like what John Taffer does with the, uh, Bar rescue. Or, you know, the restaurants, right? I, Bar how, rescue. Fun, how fun would it be a reality show coming into a ballpark with no fans coming to it? That's just bad, you know, bad energy, bad atmosphere. And you fix it up and then you pack the house and it's a great, that's a fun I think TV you've show. got the kind of juice yeah. and you've done enough trials and, and, and tribulations of good, yeah. bad, and indifferent to go to a ballpark and make a big difference in three or four weeks. Thank you.
That was the best flip the script ever. You answered the question for me. So that worked out really, really well. Uh, <laughs> all right. That's what you hey. do when you're a consultant. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, it's funny. I actually do a lot of that with, with businesses. I mean, I, I've been fortunate to speak and work with billion dollar brands. But sports teams, they think we're too crazy, which I'm okay with that. I mean, break dancing. I don't think the minor league teams are going to think you're crazy. And I think there's a lot of them that could use your help. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Question time. If you want better answers in business, you got to ask better questions. What are some of the other great questions that you're asking these days, Brandon? You know, I'm asking myself, where is this all going? You know, I don't think this is our destination, this period of time that we're going through. I think it's our transportation that's leading us and taking us someplace special. I'm trying to figure out where the hell this is all going. Because it's probably going to lead us to something bigger, better, smarter than anything we've ever seen before. And probably faster than any other time we've seen before. So I'm trying to figure out what's that look like. I'm also trying to figure out what does the modern age, this is a really a real stumper for me. What does the modern age employee look like? Like, how the hell do you manage these people anymore? You know, do you got to bring your dog to work? You got to have a kid's full of food? Is it the money? Is it the, I don't know. I'm really trying to figure that out because I think if you're going to grow a company and have a, a loyal uh, employee base, I think you got to know how to handle employees. And it's definitely different today than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, and certainly 20 years ago. And to get really good talent, which is critical, is not easy. And I think that that's the big question I ask myself is trying to understand where the whole employee movement is going so that I can be a good boss and I can, I can run a really good company. I think there's a great book that can help with that, Living on Purpose by Brandon Steiner. I think looking <laughs> at and I'm going to say, you know, a lot of people talk about ROI the return on investment, how much your employees cost. Well, I don't say how about ROI, I talk about ROP, return on purpose. Are you giving them purpose? How much purpose are you giving them to their dreams, their goals, what they want to accomplish? Whether that is, you know, you talk about the food and the great perks. A lot of times it's just feeling like they're part of something. They're a part of a game to make a difference. So you, you've already answered it a lot with your purpose, but that's, that's awesome. All right, last final three here. You ready, Brandon? We're gonna go fast. All right. We've been talking about what else, not settling with success, but fans first. I'm fascinated with that. It's a concept that the name of our company. Can you share maybe one little thing? You shared one in the beginning, but one little thing that you've done that's above and beyond fans first, that you created a fan by doing this, you or someone in your team. Well, first of all, every time I meet somebody at a ballpark, particularly a young kid, I introduce myself, I thank him, and then I tell him if he does well in school to drop me a note and I send him a box of stuff. <laughs> and uh, now I've been doing that for 20 something years and it's amazing now I got adults that walk up to me. You know, it's like eight years old to get a box of collectibles and stuff from, from somebody like me. I know the importance of, you know, that kind of impact. And, you know, the other thing is I try to do two good things every day, two acts of kindness every day. And that, that's the most important thing for me is I do two things for two people that don't expect it. I try to be generous above not doing something because I'm going to get something back. I'm not talking about doing something that I know it's going to be good for my company because those are all important things. But I try to do two things a day. And then the best two things that happen is I get two thank you notes from two people. When I speak, it's always for two charities. Money for my books and my speaking goes to two different charities. It's two things. So I think the biggest impact is, you know, I've been doing that a long time, is just trying to do nice things for people that have nothing to do with my normal day of business, which you should try to do nice things too. But, you know, just finding people that need a little help or somebody that needs a little something or encouragement, sending those boxes of things to assorted amounts of kids, hundreds of kids I've said this out to. And that, you know, now I've been doing this for so many years. It's amazing. So I always think, you know, you build your business one fan, one person at a time. You build your legacy by communicating and having a compelling relationship with one person at a time. If you believe in that, and I do. I, you know, when I die, 
which is going to happen. You know, I want people to think that, you know, listen, this, that was a nice guy. He cared. You know, he, he was very generous. You know, he cared. He, he put a smile on my face. He helped me with something. And I think that Lord knows, if you look at my background growing up, there's a lot of those people that I can't even, I don't even know who they are to thank. They know it enabled me to get to where I am today. So That's it's great. a good feeling to know that I'm, I'm passing on that torch to help others that are in need. I love it. And whether they need it or not, it's just nice to do nice things for people. And I think if you get in the habit of doing that once a day, or if you can afford to do it twice a day, even if it's a small check or a thank you note or a book, it's a beautiful thing. I love it. So much depth to the craziness and the, the purpose that you have, my friend. But I do want to jump to last two here on the craziness. Are you ready, Brandon? I think a lot of people from the outside might say, we're a little crazy. All right. We do things a little wild. You've done things very wild. I've done things wild. I'm also obsessed with the idea of going bananas. So what does going bananas mean to you? I think going bananas is, is going outside my reach, you know, doing some things that are uncomfortable that I know, I'm not sure if it's going to work. And, you know, I, I do it now as a more regular, it's getting a little harder to go bananas because my normal bananas, is, you know, the, me going bananas become normal, Yeah. But which is kind of how I see it. I don't want every day to be the same. I don't go about every deal the same. I don't deal with people the same way. I try to deal with everybody differently, which creates a lot of bananas, but that's kind of my, my mindset. But I think, you know, for me going bananas is, is doing some stuff that I have, like, you know, I just took the Syracuse dome, the roof off the building, and I'm selling the dome. <laughs> and I, I'm not going to sit here. And, I mean, I have no idea what the hell I want to do with this building. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. It's a final shitty little roof. I mean, like, but it's Syracuse. It's my team. It's my school. Yes. And, you know, I come up with a whole product line and 5,000 orders later. You know, we come up with a whole product line, the coaches and Orange Nation. And it's been one of my biggest opportunities this year. So that's going bananas. Like people are like, what are we going to do with that roof? I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. But you figure it out. You, you figure it out. I love it. I love it. All right. Finally, Brandon, what makes someone unforgettable? What makes somebody unforgettable is somebody that's not willing to accept where they're at, although they're grateful for where they're at, and somebody who's generous, somebody who goes out of the way to do something for you, expects nothing back. And I think when you go to when you deal with a brand that does more than what you expected and are grateful for your business, or when you have a relationship with a friend that you know is going to be there for you, regardless of what you could do for them, those are people that are unforgettable. I love it. I don't know if I've said this yet before on the show, but this may be an unforgettable episode. The rants, the knowledge, the act, asking what else, pushing yourself past success. Awesome. Well, thank you. You've, you've made an impact on me, my friend. I just want to thank you so much for being with us and sharing so much today. I appreciate it. I hope that people listening, you know, are able to do you know, a little bit better tomorrow than they did today and maybe something sunk home. And I answer all my uh, LinkedIn messages, Facebook, whatever. You know, I'm one of those guys, like, if I'm going to sit home, and watch some dummy down sports programs or TV, whatever, which it all is dummy down when you think about it. I multitask. You know, I go on social and I try to communicate and reach out to as many of my customers or friends. And otherwise, like people, oh, I'm so busy, I have no time. Really? I mean, really? I mean, do you really not have any time? Like, or you just choose to want to sit there and watch a football game for six hours, which in three or four years, you're not even going to remember watching it. 100%. 100%. And this is great. And you mentioned uh, before the show, your three books are on your oh, website yeah. as well, right? Yeah. If you go to Collectible Exchange, pick any one of the three books, you'll get that for free. Just pay for shipping. Plus, you'll love it. There's like 50,000, 60,000 items on the site. But at the very least, you know, I love my three books, the three different messages, but they're, you know, if you're somebody who wants to get better, you're coming out of school, you're trying to start your entrepreneurship life, definitely pick up the business playbook. 
you got to have ball spells it out and living on purpose. If you're, you know, if you're approaching 40 years old and older, that book is probably my best work. I mean, I'm as transparent as I possibly could be with that book. I love it. Brandon, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day, man. Keep going bananas. Thank you for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe that challenging the status quo, creating fans first, and changing the game is the best way to grow your business. For more information about the guest and topics covered in this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.